0: Abstract Athlete Podcast, a collision of art, sports, and science. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. A little hard to believe, but this is episode one of season four, and we really have a great season coming up. So we really want to thank every one of our great listeners and our sponsors for their incredible support. A reminder, if you have any questions or comments, please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. Also, remember to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C. Follow us on social media under the Abstract Doctors or check it out at theabstractdoctors.com. Also, One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandrich podcast. You can follow us at onemansethos.com or on social media at One Man's Ethos. You can also follow Tony on Instagram at Tony Mandrich or on Twitter at Tony underscore Mandrich. And you can also go to his website, TonyMandrich.com, and check out his amazing photographs. Stop by our website, TheAbstractAthlete.com, for information on subscription boxes and on upcoming events and workshops. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Super pumped. Welcome, actor, voice actor, and former voice of The Cleveland Show, comedian, director, writer, producer, and sports aficionado Mike Henry. We're going to talk about his love of sports and how they influenced him in his childhood and now. Also, going to talk about his path to becoming a comedian, his work on Family Guy, and his late brother Patrick's effect on him and his work. Make sure to check out the Mike Henry Show on YouTube. You can check that out at youtube.com backslash C backslash Mike Henry Bro, and you can also follow him on Instagram at Mike Henry Bro. Let's welcome Mike Henry. you rock the, the natty hat with the brett tomco shirt you just
1: well, i know what to wear. well played, i know how to dress sir. for the party
0: well played sir
1: let me go full screen on let's see hold on can you hear me okay is my sound level okay
0: yeah i'm just tweaking it right now a okay little bit. i'll
1: talk so you can tweak it tweak it up tweak up my sound level and my breasts uh, and
0: well you have to stand up for yeah. that so
1: all right <laughs> uh well, does the green look all right the,
0: the green is beautiful are you gonna do some stuff in the background
1: um i don't know that i can yeah. well i haven't figured that out i guess I it could doesn't do matter that.
0: we don't we don't actually do any video at the moment for this stuff so okay i don't know we're prob- to figure this out too we probably will eventually so this is my setup by the way
1: yeah it looks good this,
0: this is actually my worst mic but for some reason i was having troubles with uh with uh, one of my sure mics my vocal mics 50 57 and 58 i don't know why so this is like mm. a cheap a cheaper mic but it sounds good and stuff but okay when we get back to doing actual um nice nice
1: the lavalier i just got it taped onto this thing just below my frame so <laughs> I don't worry about rustling it
0: is that a, is that a new sh- a new hat that looks all bright and shiny yeah, it's
1: uh postseason. It arrived two weeks nice. after we didn't score a run.
0: That's a, so we're recording by the way. We're just diving in by the way. But the, yeah. I I wanna you know, like we can obviously talk about all your creative stuff later. I wanna talk Whatever. I wanna talk sports, man, because like yeah. seriously, like okay, first of all, life goal when you were a kid, did you was your did you wanna be like the shortstop at the Cincinnati Reds, by the way?
1: Uh yes. Yes, I, uh, I, Johnny Bench was my guy, but I wasn't about to sit there and take foul balls off my chin. Um, there it is.
0: There it is, JB. I,
1: I presented uh, our host here with a miniature statue of the Johnny Bench statue that's up at, at uh, what is it called now? Great American Ballpark. Yep. Yeah. So I I actually went up there, um, you know, worked in or I do work in animation. And we did the Cleveland show for a long time, which allowed me to hire my heroes. So Johnny Bench came and and guested on an episode and I got to know him. and That was pretty sweet.
0: That's got to be the coolest thing. Did you I think I actually asked this before when we were like hanging out drinking coffee and shooting the shit. Did you ever do one of the camps yet or have you done that?
1: No, I never did a like a fantasy camp thing. I I looked into it a couple times and just couldn't swing it like probably early on I couldn't swing it financially and then later I didn't have the time. Right. And uh you know, so the best thing we my my high school had an alumni game about ten years ago and I almost hit one out. But (laughs) that's you know, if you do a fantasy camp, you're gonna be up there. I don't know if they let you use an aluminum bat or a composite bat or whatever they're made of now. But the only reason you would want to do a fantasy camp is to try to hit one out. Right?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. I was actually like outwardly campaigning. Was it last year, or a year and a half ago, when the Richmond Flying Squirrels had the Double A All Star Game? And the day before they had a home run derby, and I was just like begging Parney. I was like, Come on, man, let me let me get into that. He like You hey, probably what? could put one
1: out. You, uh, you could still put one out.
0: Yeah, you could. It's it's it is not as easy as people think. It's it's a it's a skill. I have to get the right. you know, I have to get the launch angle all right. You know, it takes a minute to get oh, back you yeah. got swing. Gotta
1: do the Maguire, just swing down slightly so you can get the backspin and yeah. you
0: know. I don't yeah. yeah. So no, I I think. But did you throw out a first pitch at the game once? Was that? I threw it?
1: out a first pitch in Cincinnati in 2010. Yeah. And um, you know, all leading up to it, I was practicing, and you know, like
0: <laughs> you didn't want to look like the mayor or Fifty Cent. Fifty Cent.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I I got out there, and I I've since had shoulder surgery, but I was afraid I was going to like throw it like a mayor or 50 cents. So I just totally eat it and, um, you know, got got it over. It was a nice big lob of a strike, but, um, and, and you, you know, you fantasize about doing it and that there's, you know, the ballpark is packed and there's just great anticipation and you go out and there's like a group of five other people throwing out first pitches before you, and then you go out and they actually announce me, but, there were probably like 4,000 people at the game. It like was <laughs> just like so anticlimactic. But, um, but it was a thrill to be on the field and on the mound. And my God, can you imagine just playing on a field that nice? Um, that's what struck me. Uh,
0: the only – I only played – I never played in a um, – on a major league field, although I got recruited to play with uh, Minnesota, the Minnesota Gophers, and they played home games at the time back. I don't even remember the name of the the Metrodome. I guess they so they played in that in that state. You know, like where Kirby oh, Puckett yeah. used to roam. And I, I actually in my head I was like, that would be pretty badass to play in the. What do they used to call the the outfield the the Saran Wrap wall or whatever they called it? I yeah, it's like a bag or something. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And but the only play the only park I ever played in was um, the AAA ballpark at in Columbus multiple times and they have a new a new amazing park now, but that the park back then was just shit. It was like that Astroturf and I remember one like I don't remember what inning of one what game, but somebody hit this like little looper thing and it just like it bounced and it bounced right over my head because it was it was just like a springboard. Yeah, those shitty ass fields. back. you know, it was like it was like the diamond back in the day, just those cookie cutter crappy fields.
1: I was about to say there was one in in Cincinnati Riverfront and then St. Louis, Pittsburgh, uh, Montreal. Who else? You know, all those
0: Midwest ballparks at the time, uh, except for the Cubs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Cubs. And if you know you can put up with a Cubs fan, you can go appreciate their stadium. But uh, anyway. What? A little narcissism there, even worse than the Red Sox before they finally won.
0: <laughs> it's all uh, downhill. I I blame everything in the last four years on the on the Cubs actually. Okay. 2000, yeah. You know, think about it. Yeah. October and there ext- mm.
1: were a bunch of Cubs out at the nation's capital last weekend. Last but
0: weekend. like what? You know, I I mean again, like we'll obviously talk about all the, all your other cool stuff, but like what? Like sports wise, like how how did that affect like influence you as a kid growing up like you you're a huge huge sports fan like you're a Cincinnati I mean is baseball your biggest yeah sport and then and then football like you're a huge Cowboys fan yeah the two
1: the two of those are really it for me I watch the NBA playoffs like the semifinals and the finals I watch the only college basketball I'll watch is the tournament the only soccer I'll watch is the World Cup you know but I'll watch every game of a good tournament right um, and then tennis, I like the the majors, you know, if I can catch some US Open or some Wimbledon usually. Um, but uh, but yeah, we grew up, I grew up in an apartment complex with, it was all divorced parents, single parents and their kids in the 70s. So we were running around playing wiffle ball and stick ball and baseball. And, um, you know, we had the plastic helmets, had several plastic helmets and, and you'd get up and you'd imitate the swings of people and you play and you know, yep, Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan. with the kicking arm <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean it was I loved it and back in the day there was so much mystique. You know, there was two games on. There were two games on every week. One at two fifteen on Saturday the on NBC the game of the week with Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubek and maybe Kurt Gowdy. And then on Monday night there was a game and you know and that was it. And, and then
0: you had to watch the Twib notes. This weekend baseball on Saturday morning. Loved it.
1: Loved it. How about that, Mel Allen? (laughs) And um, yeah, and I would get the, you know, I get the sporting news and then there was the Street and Smith's guide that would come out preseason and kind of break down everything, give you the stats from the year before and projections. And, you know, I I would stay up. Um, Being a Reds fan, we could get the AM radio feed once it got dark. So if it, you know, I, I would catch the last half of, of uh, Marty Brenneman calling, calling Redscape. And uh, there was a magic to it. And you didn't know everything about every player. And it wasn't all, you know, the stats, I cannot freaking stand the stats now. It's like, this is the most doubles by a second year player in the American League You know, it's just like... Since the
0: the 1980s. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Tell me the home run record and tell me the RBI or base hits record and, you know, and get these steroid guys out of here. I can't stand it.
0: Yeah. Isn't it weird though with baseball in particular, like you and I have like very similar like, growing ups in terms of, like, the love of baseball, but stats, like, baseball stats to me, like, if you said 660, well, I know that's the the amount of home runs that Willie Mays hit in his career, you know, 715, yeah. you know, like, that's when Hank Aaron... You know, it's, it's so weird how stats used to play... Yeah. like a role in our lives i guess i mean like you said they again, were real yeah there,
1: there was something special about them and they were the best you know the best categories and they were just singular numbers like you just said yeah you know you know what that is and and i don't care about you know i mean just all the all the whip and all that stuff it's just like i just don't care at yeah. all but it keeps people engaged and i think kids now my son is 17 He's all about stats and fantasy football and all that stuff. And it's just like, I mean, it's a good way to get people engaged, but who gives a shit?
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I it's like it it kind of depersonalizes like the the way that baseball is played, the human element. I mean, there's there's I don't know. I mean, there's obviously there's an importance to it, but I think didn't we weren't we talking about the fact that like God, I mean, it's like starting pitchers pitch five innings and they're done Uh, and that's and it's just like I I mean come on let the guy go to sixth inning for god's sake I mean
1: yeah and and uh and all-star games are terrible now because they just got like a starter whoever's doing the best will pitch maybe two innings and then it's closers yep every you know it's just closers the whole time and it's uh I don't know, man. It's it's kind of polluted, and I I heard um, we sound heard like an the interview.
0: old men on the lawn going, "Get off my lawn!"
1: Exactly. Well, I was about to reference an old timer, Johnny Bench. I heard an interview with him uh, this past summer talking about how everyone over practices. Yep. You know, it's just like you're over practicing, and the kids, and the pressure, and you know, my son was really good when he was eight and nine and ten, and then he was just like, "I'm not doing all this extra." <laughs> you know like i just want to go out and have fun yeah and um you know that's there's something missing now with their our, our society is so competitive and so me 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 and the stats themselves yeah. it's just all about the individual and you know let's just go out and, and play some ball
0: yeah and for the love of it, it i mean it's so much about money too unfortunately is, yeah. is just the kind of grossness of it
1: I remember uh, I read a book, uh, read a bunch of books about old-time baseball. But Pete Rose uh, went in to negotiate on his own behalf before free agency, and had he had walked too many times the previous year, he didn't have enough hits, but he got on base many more times than the prior year because he walked. And the the owners were just like, no, nah, sorry, right. we're we're not paying him anymore, and like that was it. Not that that's good. And my old baseball cards, you know, there's like. A, usually a trivia thing on the back, like in the early seventies, it would be like, Jim sells cars during the off season. (laughs) Like, can you imagine that now?
0: (laughs) Not a chance. There's no no chance. No. Uh, You got into like, you were born in actually born in Michigan, but you moved here to Virginia when you were pretty young. When I was two. Yeah. My
1: dad, um, took a job teaching sculpture at VCU.
0: Did, I mean, were you just the Reds, the Reds thing was because of the 75, 76, just like that?
1: Um, no, I, I started watching the first recollection I have of of media and baseball was in 1970 during carpool. I remember my friend's mom was listening to the Orioles Pirates on the radio back when they would play in the afternoon when it was a pure thing. Yeah. Um, and then the ne- I, I actually started rooting for the Reds in 72 against the Oakland A's. Oh, um, nice when the A's won, I liked the A's for the next couple of years as they won three in a row. But then my true allegiance came out in 75 when the Reds, you know, went up against the Red Sox and you know, what are, you know, that that is the best series, which i found on DVD.
0: I, I think, I think I talked to you that the other day. Like I, I actually had uh bill, the spaceman Lee on the podcast yes. last season. And like, it was so weird to me to be talking to this guy, this guy, I mean, he's super interesting just a cool ass guy but just in my head i was like my god this guy started game seven of the 75 world series which is one of literally the most iconic world series ever absolutely yeah cool is it to be talking to this and that that had to be the same for you like one of your heroes johnny bench like to be able to like just sit there and go my god this guy is like literally one of the greatest if not the greatest catchers of all time
1: Oh, yeah. Well, he was my guy. You know, I mean, and, and back in the day, like like I was saying, there was two games on every week. And inevitably, one of them was the Reds. And that's how I got hooked on the Reds, really. Yep. And, um, you know, and then later in life, when I met Johnny Bench and then I uh, went went to Johnny Bench night at uh, in Cincinnati, I think it was in 2012, maybe. And they dedicated the statue to him. And I actually paid a little bit. I made a donation toward the statue, which gained me access. So... <laughs> I met uh, Tony Perez, George Foster. I met David Concepcion, Cesar Geronimo. Were you um, crying? <laughs> pretty much. I was crying inside. I was, uh, yeah, I was very uh, emotionally erect, and um, you know, and talked to Joe Morgan for a while. Like, just it was just me and my friend Bunt and Joe Morgan, um, just hanging out in the clubhouse for a minute. And uh, you know, what a what a treasured memory that is. Just to get to connect. Yeah. with these guys um yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll finish bragging on my sports connections i'm, I'm a cowboys fan because of uh, rider staubach drew pearson and the cheerleaders and, <laughs> and growing up is
0: it in that and, order
1: yeah uh no <laughs> um uh although there were posters of all of them in my room um and uh i grew up in redskin country and the redskins are establishment and just they were boring riggins you know, off tackle for four on first down, off tackle for four on second down, off tackle for three on third, you know, just like, all right, I don't care about this. I like these sexy cheerleaders and I like the Hail Mary. And um, <laughs> I've also since gotten to meet Roger Staubach a few times down in Dallas because uh, we're friends with, become friends with his daughter. And um, so, and you talk about the, the American athlete legend. I mean, Staubach wins the Heisman, goes and serves in the Navy for two years before he comes back and has his NFL career and, you know, wins two Super Bowls and then goes on to great success in, I guess, real estate and, um, and could not be a more engaging, present person. You know, the, the, the times I've met him, he looks you in the eye and he listens to what you're saying. Like, he's very, he just—he's—he's he's the greatest. I mean, he is—he is—he's is an American hero. I—I
0: th- I think I saw—I don't know if it's a couple years ago. I, I know it was when, um, I can't even think of his name. Who's the last coach? Garrett. Jason Garrett was still the coach, and this is like what Stallback's like 72, 73. I mean, he's
1: and he's, yeah, he's out there
0: throwing a football like he could still like chuck it down the field fifty yards. And I was just like, my God,
1: yeah. I, yeah and and after the hits those guys took
0: oh different God. different game like,
1: you see like I just remember seeing some some hits that Terry Bradshaw in particular took, just you know wobbling on his feet after just he just got abused and uh you know and it's troubling, even watching the game the other night with that Rams quarterback, you oh, know yeah. they got his neck compressed I mean that shit. Is violent?
0: Yes, it, I, it's it's crazy. I actually I've talked. I mean, did you play football in high school or anything? I was
1: JV quarterback.
0: Ah, um, I was too. Nice. <laughs> I quit after that. Well, I just I I had to, I I remember talking to a couple former pro football players that I've become you know a couple guys that we work with, and I always I loved throwing the ball. Like I mean, I loved playing quarterback. I yeah. hated getting hit. Hated ah. it, but I didn't mind hitting people. Sure, and it was it was just like, why does this? I don't understand this. Like, like if you they, don't mind yelling at
1: people, you just don't like to get yelled right, at. Exactly, so this is the next step. Yeah,
0: but I like I I mean you know like at the height of my throwing, like I could probably throw a ball seventy yards. Yeah, I'm sure. Like I could just chuck the shit out of it, and and I love playing. You know, I love throwing, but it's just like. I just hated getting blindsided and just like lit up and stuff. But yeah, oh, yeah. I, like in my head, I can still remember one time in, I think I was a junior in high school. I can't even remember playing on the kickoff team. And I only played on the kickoff team literally this one time. And I blew up the the running, the the, the kick returner, like just nice. like depleted the guy. And it was right. like, I got him. I was like, Wah! you know, like a right. lunatic. And it was just like, Complete opposite sides of that, because I sure as shit didn't want to get hit like that. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's um, it's just so rough. And the older I get, the harder it is to watch some of these hits. Yep. Just, you know, constant. I mean, just pounding. I was saying to somebody last night, can you imagine being outside in Pittsburgh right now, running as fast as you can into another person?
0: And they're five Huge. Degrees? They're so much bigger, so much faster than they were even ten years ago. It's yeah. Like, oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's why you know, like I, I'm obviously a Buckeye fan. I don't know if you watched that game uh, against Clemson and the quarterback yeah. from Ohio State just got drilled in the in the ribs. Yeah. With his helmet, and it's just like you could just see his body just. Ah. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. and and I know that they're, you know, I'm all for trying to protect him. Because I think they have to, because it's oh yeah, absolutely. It's just like how how do you maintain kind of the integrity of the game? Because it is a it's a violent sport. Like you can't. There's no two ways around it. But make it safer, and it's like you got to teach. If kids are gonna play, you got to teach them how to tackle, right? Because these these kids that are running with their heads down, like first of all, they're gonna hurt themselves. Absolutely. but, But they're gonna hurt other people. It's just it it is like it's a violent. I mean, how does sports I mean like do you still watch like sports with that same love as a kid I mean obviously time's different but
1: um I watch like I watch the Cowboys with the same anger that I had as a kid because they're always letting me down it's you know this month marks twenty five years since we've won a Super Bowl and you know not like maybe three playoff victories in the meantime and uh so yeah, the Cowboys, like it was a weird escape for me because you know childhood trauma, divorced parents, and yeah. you know just but the cowboys were my thing. You know, like if they did well, then I was okay, and I put a lot on that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I I really enjoy watching. You know, I have I have a Reds game on every day. You know, it's and I'm not I'm sitting there watching it, but it's on it's as helpful. I'm doing stuff, and um, you know, it's. Yeah, I, lo- I love baseball. I watch every playoff game and same with football. I watched six games over the weekend, which I'm not sure when we're airing here, but it was the, the wild card Next round.
0: Next <laughs> um,
1: yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, it's great. And I, you know, I think of my dad who passed away a few years ago and he would always be working at his computer on his art and he'd always have a, a sports something on, on the TV you know, as he was doing that. And I've I find myself walking in those footsteps. So, I
0: do the same thing. I actually, there's something really cool about listening to baseball.
1: Oh, and just I do and, it all the time.
0: And just hearing, I mean, obviously, it was different this year because of Covid, but I love hearing, you know, peanuts here in the background yeah. and and just all that this kind of ambiance. And you know, I know a lot of people hate, not hate, but don't like baseball because it's slow. I actually like it because it's slow because it's like, you don't have to pay attention all the time, but it's, it's just, it's kind of white noise at times, but then like, there's that excitement of the moment and, and I, you know, just nothing better than going to a game, drinking a beer, eating some peanuts Mm -hmm. and just kind of just relaxing. And I don't know. It's it's a meditation. I mean, it really is.
1: It's a, there's a rhythm to it. And you, you know, you can let your mind go and you're thinking about other stuff or making a phone call or, you know, if you're at a game, you know, uh, just walking around and checking out stuff. i have in recent years. I've taken my kids to a lot of games, and you know, I love taking my my daughter to Dodgers games because she loves Dodgers for some reason, which I still can't do because they were in the West against the Reds. Exactly. Back but she loves Dodger dogs, and it, it's it's a ritual for us, and it's it's um you know, a friend of mine went to a hockey game. He had never been to a hockey game and had a date and went to a hockey game. And he's like, man, that was just too intense. You know, like really? it's, you know, hockey's great for sure, but it's a different deal. You are going and you are putting your seatbelt on and you are, you are buckling in, you are, you're locking in here for 20 minutes at a time. And, um, you know,
0: uh, is that how long the periods are? 20 minutes? 20 minutes. Yeah. 20. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, uh, but baseball and the same with football, you can time, you know, you can time your walk into the kitchen to get a beer, you know, you got a play clock in your head, you know, when it's coming back. And, you know, there's, there's a whole system to it. You see that they're not going to run a play before the two minute warning. And, you know, you got, (laughs) you know, you can get that, you can get the trash out, you know, or like whatever whatever that, that two and a half minute thing is that you need to do. You can, you can knock it out, but it's such a wonderful backdrop. And, you know, the, it's, colorful and there's competition and passion and bragging rights and you know there's nothing like it
0: yeah now i there is something like really special to sports like i think the beginning of covid when everything shut down it was the that was the thing that i really really missed is like that daily interaction with competition not me personally but watching it or reading it or or whatever and at least having it back now obviously I mean, it's been incredible that the NFL was able to get all of their games in to me this year, which yeah. is insane. Um, and you know, obviously, I'm a huge college football guy, so I'm looking forward to the national championship tonight. Even though we're airing yep. this next week, but so yep. hopefully we'll by next ahead. week, the Ohio State University will be national champions. Um, but it's it's it is something, and baseball in particular, like has this like uniquely American kind of response to things almost like I, I think about like nine 11, how baseball kind of brought the country back in some weird way, like in the, you know, the forties with the world wars, like there was that, you know, you spoke about, about Roger Stahlback, thinking about some of those guys back in the forties that missed the, like Ted Williams missing the prime of his career to to you know like i don't know if he was a navy i don't even know what branch he was in actually but just all all that stuff it's just like it's just crazy and the shirt fits awesome by the way
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love love the brent code jackie robinson it's very cool yeah yeah
0: but how like we can like shift in like like how you know, know i know you've talked about this probably a lot in your life but you know you do come from a creative space like you said your dad um, was a sculptor. Your brother was, yep. who obviously was like really influential. Um, uh, yep. And is also like really creative. And you're actually starting to release. You're starting a new. Should we even talk about this? Like a new, sure, yeah. like the you Mike too, Henry show. Too, yeah. um, yep. And you know you're going to be bringing back a lot of these videos you did with your bro. Uh, yep. And how? Like, I, I think I read something that said you know you went to school at Washington and Lee and you wanted to be a comedian but you you didn't think you could do it so you went into like business kind of world or whatever
1: yeah and yep. so
0: like you know explain like how you got into this creative space because sure. to me what's like really cool is like you're a chameleon like you do so many different things you know like you're a comedian yeah. you're a producer you're an actor you're a voice actor you know it's it's really cool
1: hey thanks dude um <laughs> Yeah, I grew up, you know, in, in this, my childhood was in the 70s. I'm, I'm 55 now. So, you know, I was five years old in 1970 and um, parents split up. My dad, as I said, was a sculpture professor at BCU. He cut his teeth in bronze. Uh, he went to the Cranbrook Academy up in um, outside of Detroit. And that's where I was born. And that's when he was in grad school. And then uh, when we moved to Richmond, he was one of a handful of sort of post-Beatnik cigarette smoking uh, dudes that made a foundry in an old, you know, Civil War era carriage house in the fan. And, you know, that was the beginning of VCU. I think it was RPI when he first arrived. And um, he, uh, you know, he was always making art and he he evolved later into computer animation and sort of uh, he was sort of obsessed with the discovery of early human knowledge and the pyramids and how they could possibly have been made. And he um, was into what he called the um, sacred geometry of humanity. And so his he, he basically started out before computers stacking reflective Christmas balls on the inside of an upside down pyramid. OK, so the interior of the upside down pyramid would be reflected, would be made of mirrors and he would put one Christmas ball and then four on top of that one and nine on top of that one, et cetera. And he would have a light source that he would shine in and then he would take a picture and he would move the light and move the camera. And he evolved that into uh, once computers allowed him to do it, he could get really into it. And his work over the course of 30 years, 35, 40 years, turned into this amazing you could see human faces in these reflections and it you know he was really on to something so he was utterly an artist he was a he lived the art life and my mother who raised my brother and me was also an artist she painted they, they met at the cleveland institute of art she painted in oil uh made her living by painting portraits of wealthy vain people um <laughs> and uh you know i i don't I, it's amazing to me how many people want a portrait um and, uh, it's very but aristocratic it, it, it,
0: what's that i said it's very aristocratic
1: it, i think so but but it allowed her she worked at home and in that apartment that we grew up in and there was always baseball on you know or twice a week there was baseball on and then football on sunday and um you know, we were always the neighborhood kids. were always playing sports. So I was truly born into art and sports. And um, and my brother Patrick, who passed away four years ago this week wow. because of diabetes, he was forty five, and um, he had a very rough last few years of his life with kidney failure and liver problems, and um, you know, just not a not a happy end. But it, the time that we shared he was always drawing and always painting. And he actually was a very good baseball player. He was the best player in the city by far when he was 11 and 12. And um, so he was, you know, the all-star phenom. And as he grew older, his body started failing him. And in high school, he didn't put much weight on And frankly, he didn't train very much. So his he had arm problems and tried to walk on at James Madison and, did very well in the tryout, like couldn't have done better, but couldn't hit whatever 88 miles an hour or whatever the automatic cutoff was for pictures. So he, um, he transferred to RISD up in Providence and uh, became a film, video and animation sort of triple major. So he was, I have a painting that he did in my office, which is just this abstract color, colored heads, like just, very random uh dude and he also was a musician he played drums and um so my brother would have been perfect for your podcast because (laughs) truly i mean he was he was a, a stud athlete and a stud artist so um and then i was never good at drawing i was pretty good at sports you know i you know i think if I had been able to run really fast, I probably would have been, I'm, I'm a very average speed, you know, white dude. Um, but, um, and I played some soccer in high school. I played for one year. Um, but you know, just I, I was, I always loved sports, but I never worked that hard at it and I was, I, I always enjoyed it. So, um, I was good as shit at wiffle ball, but, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but then creatively I couldn't draw and I wasn't a good, you know, visual artists per se, you know, with, with dexterity and painting and using my hands for things. But I, I do have a decent eye for stuff. And and my, my real thing was comedy. And always I always imitated people and I always found a way to make fun of a situation. And, um, you know, so I, I really pursued, I pursued that after a while. And as you mentioned, I, I went to Washington and Lee Because at the time I really just wanted to be a normal guy in a normal family because, you know, my dad had a ponytail down to his ass and, you know, and had a series of live-in girlfriends. My mom was depressed and very Catholic. She'd go to church and cry every Sunday. And I was just like, my God, I just want to be like all these people at my school. I went to collegiate school here, which is a really good private school. And I went on financial aid. So I always wanted to like just... Officially, be able to afford things and you know live a, a decent looking from the outside life, and so I went to W L and I thrived up there. But um, you know, I, I was never I never gave my comedy a real shot until two years after college when I I'd been working locally at the Martin Agency here, a big advertising agency. And I just hated what we were doing. I, you know, I would much rather prank call my bosses or, you know, uh, make fun of the work rather than do it. And so I took the leap at 24 and, and there you go. But yeah, that first, that first chapter up through 24 years was formative for sports and, and, and.
0: But you, art. I'm, I'm sure you use your life experience like in, in everything you do. And like, again, I've seen the one, um, the kicked in the nuts that you posted recently that you did with your brother. And you said, you're going to be putting out a lot of those older videos. Yeah. And, uh, just the humor in that. And like how you guys, I, in my head, like when I was watching it, how I assume you guys like really worked so well together. And because you had that same lived experience growing up, you know,
1: yeah. there's nothing like having a brother that you collaborate with because there's a shorthand that you have that you don't have with anybody else. You also want to kill each other more than, you know, you would any, You you'd be a little more cordial with any other partner. <laughs> but, you know, you know, you've been farting on a guy's head for 30 years. You, you know, <laughs> you don't you don't have to posterity out the window. So I was actually I'm in a that.
0: band with brothers at one point in time. And I've uh, told this story before, I think, on the podcast, but there was sometimes we had band practice and they were the, the rhythm section, the bass player and the drummer, and all of a sudden we'd like in the middle of a song and then a drumstick would go flying across the room and it was like, oh shit, here we go. It's, yeah. it's on.
1: Yeah. so you were in Oasis?
0: Uh, what? <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I if I was in Oasis,
0: I would have knocked the shit out of both of those guys. Yeah, because,
1: oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so... So yeah, so Patrick and I um, we worked great together because the first thing that we collaborated on was one of his student films when he was at RISD, and you know he, you know, I, you know, I've always been, I guess, the funny guy, you know, or a funny guy, um, and but I had no, I, I did a little bit of stand-up, but I had no video on myself, I had no real um, experience, you know, being on camera and anything. Until he did this this film, and I remember taking a train up from Richmond to Providence, and he picked me up at the train station, of course, late in a borrowed car that was full of equipment that he had not yet set up. I thought, you know, I'm like, I'm just ready to roll in and be the star here. <laughs> and so I'm rolling around with him picking up fucking batteries for the mics and, you know, like picking up the equipment from some guy who hadn't turned it in yet and having to go to his house to get it. And it was just like such a slog. And, and it, it inevitably we started, or I started drinking at, you know, <laughs> seven o'clock and we didn't start rolling until like one in the morning I'm in his apartment, sort of half-assed helping him trying to think of what I'm going to say on the camera, because there was no script. It was just be funny. And, um, so uh, the, so we're in this, his apartment and there's like a dolly and you know, a, you know all this shit, like I'm, I'm sort of helping him put it together. And he's like looking at notes and calling somebody to, you know, and I'm just like, I didn't know what was going on. So um, at one point we ordered food, we ordered a pizza and, you know, we'll call it midnight. And part of what this film was, was me sitting at the foot of his bed, just talking. Okay. Just you know, talking about how we can do anything for this project and what are we going to do? And, you know, just sort of talking through it. So there's a light, there's a 16 millimeter camera pointed at his bed and it was a direct line of sight to the front door. So the pizza arrives, he goes to deal with a pizza guy. I'm sitting on the bed. And so I just rolled over and put my face in the pillow and pulled my pants down. So I'm lying on my stomach, like with my ass out with two lights and a camera pointed at me and so he, he, I could hear him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. How much? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep the change. All right. Thanks. Closes the door. And then, then I could hear him turn around. And then he's just like, what the
0: fuck are you
1: doing? <laughs> Absolutely teed him up for shooting gay porn. And, um, you know, so, and we later made a short out of that, um, that experience. But, you know, um, but, but what Patrick was great at was, capturing things. He was a great documentarian. He he knew how to make me look good. He knew how to capture what I was able to do. And I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of what I've done without him. He was actually good friends with Seth MacFarlane at RISD. And Seth saw the film that we made. And then, you know, we all became friends. And, you know, of course, later on, um, you know, I helped Seth with the family guy presentation. I was living in New York at that time and just giving him some jokes here and there. And, um, and he was, and, and, I, and I, Patrick and I were shooting like commercial parodies and things like that. And, um, cause I wanted to be on SNL. And oh, you uh,
0: did, Okay. That, I was wondering, cause it, you did something with Lauren Michaels, something, yep. right? That's yeah. Cool. Um,
1: the, the trajectory was, uh, Dysfunctional childhood, Washington and Lee, success while I was there, I was class president for the last three years I was there and I was just Mr. Good Time, let's go take a bong hit and, and see what happens. And two years of misery in advertising, then three years of sucking it up in LA, really trying to figure out what was up, doing stand up, taking ground links classes, working as a production assistant, waiting tables, going to dead shows, and then back to Richmond to shoot shit. And so I was shooting stuff. Then I went to New York with a a reel and lived up there for a year and a half and was getting very close to auditioning for SNL. And Patrick and I did some shorts for Lorne Michael's company called the Burly Bear Network um, at the time. And so, and during that time I was auditioning for stuff and booking nothing, and it was very difficult and hung out with the Upright Citizens Brigade, which um, was the heart of the comedy scene up there and um you know it just it was a grind i was broke i made my social security statement shows that in 1997
0: i made $4000 oh, in new york
1: in new york oh my
0: god and
1: so my dad helped me some he couldn't help me that much but i just ran up credit cards and just cash advances i kept up with all my bills constantly and i didn't spend really anything that i didn't have to you know it was like I shared an apartment um, with my buddy Rob Hubel, who's a pretty prominent comedy guy now, and I had a gym membership, and that was it. I never went out, you know. We'd you know weed and beer at home all the time, but you know, no, uh, didn't go out to eat, you know, none of that stuff. And then, um, and then Seth called and said, "Hey, I sold that show to Fox. Do you want to move to LA and write for it and create characters?" And this was 1998. And I was like, well, I am getting close to this SNL thing, you know, and then I just said, what the hell? And, you know, with, with entry level writing, you know, paying you like a hundred thousand dollars a year, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. So I went from like $4,000 to, and, to um, a hundred thousand dollars. And trip. it was great. I just remember landing in LA where I had lived poor prior, and just rolling up to Santa Monica and coming up the Strand, like on this this path. And it's just like, it was like a, those old Richard Scarry children's books with the bright, colorful pictures. And it was just sunny. It was June. It was babes everywhere. And I'm rolling up in my rented Mustang convertible to my apartment that my friend had got me right on the beach. The little, little one room, you know, without a kitchen kind of apartment, but nonetheless, it was just the greatest feeling and I was out of, I was like $40,000 $40, in debt, you know, on credit cards and uh, got out of it within a year, you know. I just, um, and, and since then, you know, it's been 22 and a half years of Family Guy and the Cleveland show. And, you know, um, we did Kicked in the Nuts, which was a hidden camera show parody. I should say, you know, I, I got to plug my um, my YouTube yeah. show. I just I just started. Um, I posted the first one about a week ago. It's um it's YouTube uh, slash Mike Henry Bro, and um, I'll be posting another episode this well, <laughs> what will have been last Wednesday when this airs. But I'm gonna try to do them every Wednesday um, at three o'clock Eastern. They're just little five minute things, and it's just me. Uh, sort of messing around with my wife or dogs or my trainer or whatever and, and just sort of just having fun and then also showing some retro clips like I did in the first one of an old kick in the nuts thing um, and uh, i homage uh, to my brother.
0: break. Make sure again to check out the Mike Henry Show on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash Mike Henry bro. And you can also follow him on Instagram at Mike Henry bro. Also, a reminder to listen to our podcast on The Abstract Athlete Network, The Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C. Follow us at TheAbstractDoctors.com or on social media under The Abstract Doctors. And One Man's Ethos, The Tony Mandrich Podcast, which you can find on social media at One Man's Ethos or you can check us out at OneMansEthos.com and also check out Tony's incredible photographs at TonyMandrich.com Now, back to Mike. Is this something you've thought about before though? Like this Mike Henry show? Yeah, yeah, because thought you'd said that to me because i like i told you when we were like uh grabbing coffee last week i love the way that you edit this like there's something like really beautiful beautiful about like just kind of the the, the chaotic <laughs> kind of entries. like it's i i love it like it it, it makes the, the sketch comedy and like how quick it is and like how you're just kind of moving in, in and out of certain things and you're kind of returning to things and you're going yeah. out and, and it's just, there's in terms of, for me, it, it, it really grabbed me that it made me pay attention, which I, I, you can't say that about a lot of stuff anymore. Right. Like, and that, I, I just really, really love that. And I, I love the fact that you are bringing back stuff that you and your bro did man, because I think what a great way to like, kind of, you know, remember you know yeah yeah and I
1: I gave the eulogy at his um at his funeral and I actually told the story about me pulling my pants down (laughs) at at a catholic church which was uh the the guy the the poor priest was just like uh uh okay you know like literally (laughs) wanting to grab the cane cane. came off the side (laughs) um but but another thing that I said that day is, is you know you guys friends family you know talk about Patrick you know, keep him alive in spirit and, you know, share those fun memories and, you know, he's such a huge part of me, obviously, you know, my my brother, my only sibling and creative collaborator. And, you know, when somebody's gone, you see them in a different light and those things that used to annoy you on a daily basis go away and you, you know, you see what was really there and what was really good. So, so yeah so I'm, I'm keeping that alive in the series and you know kicked in the nuts was in response to a meeting that we had to work on the show punked back in the day oh, where the um With ashton the, kutcher ashton kutcher and um the the producers were bragging about being sued by a they did a gag in las vegas at a casino hotel where they staged a fake crime scene a fake murder scene in a in a hotel room And the maid came in and freaked the fuck out, obviously, you know, thinking that she sees these dead bodies and this fake blood all over the place. And so she sued the production for distress, understandably, and these guys were like laughing about it and bragging about it. And we would just walk down and go, what dicks? (laughs) And so we're like, okay, I guess no matter what you do, you're supposed to be happy as long as you're gonna be on TV. So we just staged this kicked in the nuts thing, which I will, I have to say is, is not real. We are not really kicking anyone in the nuts, but a lot of people make them as, you know, think that we are, you know, because of the brilliant filmmaking. But um, so, so yeah, so I put that clip in, but um, you know, thanks for the kudos on the way that it's cut together, but it really is. It's just sort of me at an anchor desk. It's um, just bits that I'm shooting on my phone in my house, like, coloring my beard and hoping that makes a difference. And, you know, I will tease this past week's episode by saying that I got a manscaped thing <laughs> in the mail and we'll see where that goes. But, um, but it's that kind of just playful stuff, but then also cut into a video that I shot at a concert for, you know, 10 seconds or something, just a different vibe. And then, then a throwback, you know, I, I, I have a lot of old family guy footage, um, behind the scenes recording stuff. And, um, I've got all these old shorts that Patrick and I shot that are on my YouTube channel, but I'll work them into these episodes. And so, you know, my, when you, my you pe- said
0: you were going to do some interviews as well, right? Yes. That's um,
1: cool. yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's bit by bit, you know, I, I connected with a graphic designer who's going to help make me a mask for, a, you know, I'm, I'm looking at our zoom call right now, which is us side by side. And I'm imagining the, you know, what, what he's going to do around that. And um, so uh, I did a lot of Instagram live interviews in the spring. Um, I interviewed some athletes and uh, musicians, entertainers, and we all, we, we my thing was, you know, now this pandemic has hit, this is a perfect time for people to reassess and recalibrate and figure out how they can identify their passion and find a way to follow it, you know, ideally as a way of life. And, you know, so we, that was a constant theme in all of these things where it's, you have to identify your passion, you have to break your ties, you have to be, have the courage to pursue it. Then you have to have, sustainability, you need to keep pressing because the world is going to throw shit at you. You can't just say, Hey, I want to be president and be president. You have to listen to the, you have to participate in the dialogue of you and the rest of the world. And you have to listen and you have to adapt and you have to find your way and then overcome a ton of shit. And then ultimately when you can get to that point where your art and your commerce intersect and you're you're doing what you love and you're getting paid for it, well enough to live, that's nirvana right there. And then, as that continues, then you find yourself in this place of gratitude, where you're so grateful that you're able to do this, and it doesn't feel like work. And you want to share that, and you want to help people who need help. You want to, um, and not just give handouts. But if if there's anyone that I know that just needs a break, that that you know, I'll do anything to to help someone who is helping themselves, and that is really what this is all about is identifying what's going to make you fulfilled, encouraging people to go for it and encouraging people to help each other go for their thing. You know, like the world's a big organism, humanity is an organism. So if you push and push and push and push, the rest of that organism will adapt and it will, it will allow you to, to get to that place. And so I want to work in an element of that into this, what I'm calling the Mike Henry show um, in interviews or just sort of in a, in a talking point or a demonstrated gag with my dogs humping each other, you know, whatever the, you know, and it's not a heavy handed message. I mean, what I just said is very sober and very deliberate, but I want to present that. And I do present that in a way that is, is fun. And hopefully it's like my, my ultimate goal would be to make you laugh and then make you think and the goat of that is Dave Chappelle and you know yeah. that he he just points so much shit out and makes you laugh so hard by just being real but you walk out thinking it's not like the Bill, you know Bill Mars show like I I enjoy a lot of his points that he makes but you turn it off it it ends and you're like
0: man we're fucked yeah
1: you know like you know I want I want people to feel a, a little bit of hope and encouragement and empowerment because you know it's up to you it's all on the inside any anything the world around you is there, but it's really up to you to make it what you can. Yep.
0: Yeah. Now, I Dave Dave Chappelle I, is he is truly the goat. I think he is the funniest, most poignant comedian that has ever existed. And I, you know, I'm probably a little biased and probably off, but I just, I the, how like whoa, the Dave Chappelle show lasted what only three years or even. It was. It it's was. Some, yeah, very short time. And I can still watch an episode that I've seen thirty times, and it's still oh, yeah. funny. It's still relevant. It's still fresh. It's just. It's unbelievable to me. And yeah. and he's an Ohio guy, so I love him even more. Yeah, there you go. And that I I actually had a buddy that was able to go down to one of those um, shows he's been doing outdoors during COVID. Yeah. So it's oh man, but he. he I was actually just talking to a couple buddies the other day about the um the prince um skit with charlie murphy where they're oh, the, right. ba- the basketball <laughs> because yeah it's just like and then we went home we ate some pancakes <laughs> it's just like what the hell right. is this is this real that's and, hilarious but i it's, um, i don't know
1: that that just reminded me this is a off, off topic but uh do, do you ever look at the onion do you oh yeah, do you yeah, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. It? yeah. it was a couple weeks ago that uh I can't remember the exact headline, but it was something to the effect of, uh, uh, I can't remember the parent company of Aunt Jemima, uh, but it was, uh, let's, let's call it Nabisco. It, it wasn't, a bit, it was, uh, you know, Nabisco replaces stereotypical Aunt Jemima with Sheila. Uh, and it's like a buttoned up looking African-American lady. It's like with, with Sheila, a young attorney who enjoys pancakes sometimes,
0: <laughs> <was> like, what <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: so just such a great call on the political correctness of everything yeah. which uh you know you gotta you gotta laugh and yeah. uh Absolutely. i got you know, i got caught up in some of that this past summer which i'm, I'm not really going to talk about but i i do need to acknowledge that uh that
0: it happens anyway. Well, what, like what so you're you know the the you're going to start releasing uh stuff on YouTube, the Mike Henry show. Yeah. And you still currently are on Orville. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, um, I know it's a little hard like, to go
1: out there and film right yeah, now. Yeah. That's what
0: I was saying. It's quarantine. like, everything's kind of been shut down, but what's like, I mean,
1: and family guy, I'm on family guy, yeah. you know, I'm still, uh, I still play a bunch of characters and I'm I jump in the writer's room every couple of weeks for a few hours, sort of developing some new characters. Oh, so, cool.
0: But what, I mean, you know. do you, like, so that's, that's constant. And then that's like, like still goal. Like, I, I guess I'm getting to the question of like, what's, what's next, Mike? That sounds so fucking <laughs> Serious. But like, what do you yeah. like, I mean, what do you look, you know, I think as creative, creative people, like we both are, or, or you know, like, and there's like a competition with with the athletics that we a both love and both played. And, and I always like, and you're like, I, th- you have like a great energy. Like you're, you know, like you're active, like you're, you always pushing forward. Like, like, what do you see? That just sounds corny as fuck. I don't want to even go in, but like how, like what, what's, what's next? that was the same damn question I just asked. Yeah, it no, us. it's okay. I think, <laughs> um,
1: you know, uh, you and I talked about this the other day when we were, we did our uh, grab and go, we were, we, got some coffee and went for sort of walking around. And, um, um, a good friend of mine, Elizabeth Weiss, uh, is a, is a, an engineering professor at USC, uh, out in LA. And she was talking about an exercise that she does with her students, where she has them kind of come up with their ideal career in you know, 20 years, yep. you know, an ideal position, and then sort of craft a way to get there. And I, that was very interesting to me because I've always taken the opposite approach. And what I've always encouraged people to do is follow their passion and see where it takes them. You know, like I sort of, I guess I did have a goal back in the day of being on SNL. So I did stand up and I studied at the Groundlings Theater in LA, which is where a lot of those people came out of. And I shot commercial parodies that I was in and that I had written. And so I sort of always had this thing for SNL, but then Family Guy happened and I got in, on the ground floor, you know, like, and that was eight years of, of hard broke ass work, you know, just following a dream. And so I always just encourage people to follow what feels good to them. And so right now, what feels good to me is, uh, I was gonna make a sex joke, but I'm not going to. uh, (laughs) Is, um, is,
0: We'll put it on the green screen behind you. No.
1: There you go. Nice. Um, what, what feels right to me is, you know, I, I have some things to say, and I, I really, I'm compelled to uh, be known for my on-screen, my on-camera self. You know, like I, I've been, you know, Family Guy and the Cleveland Show were so good to me for so many years and taught me so much, but it didn't scratch that itch of wanting to, you know, I I sometimes wonder, and I don't live with any regret, but I wonder what would have happened if I'd been on SNL? What would, what would my path have been? And, you know, I, I don't ponder that for too long, but it, it, it is there. And I think ultimately I'd love to host SNL if I, you know, can get something going that's relevant enough. And I think that would scratch that itch and would be great. Um, But I, I really am just sort of I wouldn't say throwing everything at the wall, but I'm just doing what's on my mind. And I've, I've built a little studio here in my basement with sort of a, um, a mount that you would put a monitor on, but it's strong enough to hold these light panels and this camera. And I've got my little mixing board and my mic and I've got a green screen and I can come down and flick on the lights and turn on the computer and be recording in two minutes. And so um, I'm playing with that. And it's, it's interesting because for the last few weeks, Last two weeks in particular, I just come down and I flick it on and I start ranting, and nobody fucking wants to hear that. But it's a great way to get it out. It's like writing a letter to somebody and never sending it. You know, it's like I, I come down and I am going off on the you know what happened at the nation's capital and that you know these people just aren't happy. And it's the same in many ways as the Black Lives Matter. It's like it's people who feel they don't have a voice and they are. You know, there's a hole in their life, and they're trying to fill it in this angry, you know, acting out kind of way. And yes, there's been systemic racism and slavery and, and everything else, which obviously has kept the black folks in check as far as you know, uh, the, the maybe society is concerned. Uh, but these other folks, um, are just as angry and feel just as unheard, and you know, from different circumstance. So I come down and I like rant on that, and you know, don't don't post pictures of these people and call them hillbillies. You wouldn't have done that last summer if there were some ghetto-looking folks, and blah blah blah. And then I play it back, and I'm like, nobody wants to hear this shit.
0: So right.
1: I'll save it for Ron's
0: podcast.
1: <laughs> um, you know, like I no I. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know. I
0: think it's healthy to rant like, you know, and I think it's it's healthy. I think what we've lost in society is the ability to have a discussion and disagree with people. Discourse.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, we we can't. I mean, you can't. A white person cannot say anything about Black Lives Matter other than I support it. You know, like if you said anything different, it would be like, "Oh, you're racist. You don't understand." Blah 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 blah. You know, I have lots of private conversations. My one of my best friends uh, I see every morning when we work out is is black guy, and we talk about stuff all the time. You know, and it's, you know, the external world is not going to make you happy. You know, it's. It really is inside and it, you know, people need to to like meditate and people need to just get in touch with that thing inside them that is, that doesn't feel right and, and have the courage to confront it. And I don't think a lot of people do that. And then in the case of the Capitol, these people who are disenfranchised for whatever reason, or just angry are being led on and being promised something that's never going to happen. And, you know, and then acting out and, you know, it's fucked up. So, yeah. you know, my whole thing is is do for yourself, no matter what your position, you know, and I know one of the lost boys of Sudan is one of my very best friends, uh, John Dow, and his village was shot up when he was 12. And he, he and 23 other guys, 22 other guys set out across the plains of Africa toward a refugee camp and four of them survived. Jesus. And then he was put in charge of 1,200 other refugee kids because he's a natural leader and, you know, he did all this shit and he got to this country through a, a Clinton administration initiative and put himself through Syracuse University in the, you know, probably five years from the time he landed here, got off the government handout as quickly as he could and found his way. So, I, you know, if, if he can do that, then anybody can do that. Like, it's, it, it's either in you or it's not. And, you know, I think you know, capitalism is, is you know, certainly the best way, way to go, but it's got some holes in it, man. And when, you know, people feel like they can't keep up and they're not getting theirs and everyone's, everything is so individualized right now for for stats and for gain and for status and buying this and that. And, you know, it's, um, there's a lot out there to really confuse priorities and, um, and aren't I fucking hilarious? Isn't this the funniest interview? This is- <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, see, this is the shit I rant on in front of the TV, and I'm sorry. And you feel free to cut off. No, of this dude,
0: out. like this, like that's great. You know, because again, it, this, this, this whole podcast is really about just having conversations, and everybody knows. Like, I think you know, everybody knows you as a funny ass guy. Like, I don't think most people knew, like how much you love sports and how important sports with you and, and how thoughtful you are. Like, you know, like I think that those things are important to like, it's yeah. the well-rounded human, like somebody that actually does care, but you know, like at the same time, like you have a great outlet with, with comedy to be able to get your venting out in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't have that. Like we talk about a, the abstract athlete is like, we're, we're trying to get people to be creative, and and physically active every day because it's good for our mental health like you said you talked about meditation it's like absolutely meditation but also another way to do that is by sitting down and painting for an hour or 20 minutes or whatever or dancing exactly yes. or, whatever you're but like, exactly yeah exactly that that outlet that like because we we as a society right now we are like on edge man like Everybody, oh. everybody, and it's just like we need to get back to a point of being able to have these disagreements without wanting to kill each other, yeah. And uh, you know,
1: it's a scary time, man. And it is. um, it's um, there's rage everywhere. I mean, road rage, I see so much more than you know, it's just increasing. It's like all those people, uh, you know, the uprisings last summer, all the people that were out in Washington. You know, on the sixth, like there's a lot of lot of anger, and like, COVID's it, not
0: helping because everybody's stuck inside, yeah. losing their shit.
1: Yeah, and you know, and everybody's got their conspiracy theories. You know, it's like, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, don't be influenced by the mass media, you fools, blah blah blah, and then they'll post something from Fox News and you know a, a couple of of quote you know fringe things that tell you to think bigger or you know whatever and it's like dude everybody needs to turn everything off look at where they are listen to the birds or the the traffic or you know whatever whatever the noise is around you and breathe and feel your feet on the ground and then just get as high as you possibly can for this <laughs> just <laughs>
0: you're not kidding. Don't act like you're kidding.
1: <laughs> um, no, but it's, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I do think that the happiest people are the people who are constantly trying to improve yep. and, and do, Evolve. do things better
0: Evolve and, and,
1: and I, yeah. also help people, yep. you know?
0: Yeah. It's, there it's, needs to be more of that. I a hundred percent agree. Like we need to get back to that human element that, uh, but it, it's, you know, it's obviously easier said than done. It is. It's just, I think it, I agree. Like, it's a scary time. Like I, I don't want to think much about what happened on the sixth. I mean, I you know, watching those images was just like brutal, but the, the scary part to me is like, that could have been so much worse. So oh. much worse. Oh God, It's just yeah. like, uh, you know, I, I, it's just, it's hard to like imagine that, were that, I don't know, like that, that anger. I don't know. It's you know, I don't even know the right word to say. No, it's hard. it's it's anger,
1: and it's um, you know, unfortunately, it it grows out of the DNA of our country. Yep. I mean, it's you 100%. know, it wasn't it wasn't that, built on fairness and
0: yeah. um. Well, and I you know, like people that say this isn't who we are, and it's like, yeah, actually, this is. That's the yeah. unfortunate part, and we, that's the stuff we need to work on and change. So. But, but the thing is, and I, I don't,
1: I don't ever want to leave anything open-ended like that because I, 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 again, I don't want to feel hopeless at the end of this conversation. I want to feel like I can do something better, and that anyone listening can do something better. To go and, you know, if you got that thing that you've been meaning to do, and that yep. thing that maybe you wake up in the middle of the night thinking you, you need to. Change this or that or reach out to that person or, you know, get this, you know, get this, you know, this venereal thing looked at or, you know, like whatever the whatever the thing is or or that person down the street who's, you know, recently widowed or, you know, whatever, you know, go check on that person. And, you know, like just it, it really is so simple. Life is so simple, but it's made so yeah. complex by the, the inundation of of information and media and opinion. And, you know, I think it it really can be simple if you just take a few minutes and reflect every morning and and maybe even sort of project, or or give intention to how you you want your day to go. And, you know, I just think, think, uh,
0: you know, like, I never blame, blame the media or anybody else or whatever. Because I think we're all responsible for our own actions. But I do think I I talked about this with somebody else on a podcast recently is you just don't see enough positive things being done. You know, and like, I think about like, uh, you know, using the upper echelon, but how many good things like a LeBron James does in the world? Ah, wonderful. And, and you just, you don't hear about the good things as much of, well, LeBron James didn't do this today. And it's just like, yeah, but you know what he did? a hell of a a lot of good things and it's you know i just like i i want to hear more about positive elements happening in the world and and i do some of that does fall on a us some not you and i directly but us as humans but and the media it's just like you know i like obviously we need to know about the the what happened last week because that's important but like let's let's talk about like some of the positive things that people are doing around the the world. And, you know, you know, it's obviously easier said than done, but. Right. But also address
1: the root of what happened, you know, like, and, you know, and it's not because of Nancy Pelosi, or it's not because of, you know, slavery, and it's not because of, you know, like don't, don't, there's always going to be, something to be mad about and you know, you just need to to look inside and, and decide that you're not going to be mad. And you know, since we're, we're, this is a sports show, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the great quotes that a very wise man told me about Vince Lombardi, you know, Vince Lombardi quote, there are those who say they can and those who say they can't and they're both right. Yep. So it's, it truly is a matter of outlook and, you know, oh, that's easy for you to say, Mike, you got, you know, this career, blah, blah, blah. It's, <laughs> I didn't at the beginning, you know, like I had people laughing at me and, and, you know, I'm waiting tables, you know, $4, making $4,000 in
0: 1997. Yeah.
1: Getting a boot on my car in 1990, you know, like I, you know, when I couldn't afford it and I had to take out a cash advance and go spend a day at the courthouse to get it. And, you know, like, it's not an easy road, but you just got to do what you don't want to do. And I, you know, sometimes you don't feel like working out. Right. And I know you work out all the time and you just, it's like, man, it'd be real easy to just lay here and sleep for another hour, but you know, I'm going to go ahead and knock this out. And and not that I'm freaking great. I do (laughs) have plenty of flaws, but it's, it's a matter of, of an outlook. And I think.
0: But we all do like, that's the thing is like, just own it and keep, you know, like you said, keep moving forward, keep striving for that thing whatever that thing is you know yeah Uh, it's i'm i'm you know like i think in a lot of ways there's a lot of and we've talked about this before like overlap and just like shitty times and like how you persevered through those shitty times and they they like in some ways they drive me personally like some of those things and and and,
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah life ain't easy man We'll, we'll, we'll like getting like starting to wrap up, but I always like, I want to also, you know, you mentioned music earlier because I always like to talk about a little music. And you, mm-hmm. your bro played, you said, um, Did you ever play any instruments? You do anything? No, you? I, no?
1: you know, I've tried for two days to play guitar. <laughs> you know, like it's, I, I love to sing. I love, you know, got actually a pretty good karaoke setup here. Nice. And, um, You know, I've, uh, I love to sing and absolutely. Hey, that's an instrument.
0: Music. It's an instrument. Yeah. I'm yeah. a singer. I've sent you stuff like, Oh yeah. No, your stuff is great. Hundred, hundred hundred percent. That, that is a, um, an instrument. It, you have to like maintain it just like practicing scales on a guitar. Yeah. Um, but you're yeah. a huge, huge music fan, like big time yeah. deadhead. Is that, is that like the, the group for you? No. yeah. Uh,
1: yeah you know my first the first concert i saw was 38 special and jefferson starship at king's dominion in <laughs> uh in 1979 i think and then my second concert was the stones at hampton Good in 1981 Lord. uh with george thurgood opening for him and the joke was that the stones were old
0: oh uh, my God.
1: that was the, the tattoo u tour and um yeah. And then, you know, R.E.M. was big for me through college and I, I really enjoy a lot of their songs. And, um, and um, U2 is a huge one. My, my brother took me to see them in 85 at Hampton. And I've seen every tour since. And, um, and The Dead. Um, you know, there's nothing like a dead show. I mean, it's uh, a U2 show is sort of about, uh, you know, a, a immense passion and spirituality and, you know, loud music and then, you know, soft, heartfelt music. And, but the dead is just about life. I mean, they get out there and during those jams, whether you're catching a buzz or not, um, actually, I wouldn't know about not, (laughs) but but you are, I've heard stories. You're taking, you're, you're just going on a journey, and you're feeling, um, as my good friend Al Franken said uh, last year in Mexico, about a year ago right now, we went down, uh, Sarah, my wife, and me, and Al and his wife, and, and we, we went to three shows, and after the first one, I said, how was it? He's like, I experienced every emotion. Yeah, I, I felt joy. I felt sadness. I felt anger. You know, like you you just run the gamut. Um, at a dead show, but um, and I know you're you're a big metal guy,
0: hard rock like Tool, Soundgarden, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I I also I uh, one of my favorite musicians is a guy named Chris Whitley, which I would say, and Jeff Buckley kind of. I don't know if you know Jeff Buckley is yeah. kind of in that style, where it's kind of singer songwriter, but kind of like alternativey dirty, you know, just yeah bluesy and i love I, I you know being a singer i always listen to the singers hence the reason why i love Soundgarden, because to me mm-hmm. chris cornell is just like you know yeah just descended from the heavens because with right. his voice um so but yeah i i i kind of go i mean the the funny part is chris and i my business partner we actually met working in a record store back in ohio and, oh nice and that's how like literally this company is like started from and so i've listened to just just everything just I had a really cool boss back in the day that just knew you know he was like you know the movie high fidelity like sure. that was that was me like I, yeah. I lived in that world and and was able to just like listen you know got a little snobby at times with some of the stuff back in the sure, day, but, but but it, it, it's I just I kind of love everything um actually touch of gray was my state championship baseball team's theme nice. song in 1987 but I never actually never got the chance to get, or I probably had the chance, but I was never a huge deadhead. I had an right. older sister that, you know, got me into Zeppelin and like the Allman brothers and Oh Yeah, Skinnerd and all that stuff. So I think like the more of the harder rock thing came from like the Zeppelin side and Rush and all that stuff.
1: Oh yeah. I wish I'd seen Rush. I never saw him. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I tell you what, uh, dead and company, is a wonderful hybrid of the old school, you know, the guy, the drummers and Bob Weir, and then yep. you've got um, Jeff Cominti and, you know, Teal Burbage, and then Mayer, John Mayer up front. Mayer is unbelievable. And the, the, the combination of the integrity of the old guys, and the authenticity of it, and the young guys, you know, pumping energy into it, it is, it's Horns- pretty great.
0: Hornsby plays on those every once in a while, doesn't he? Does he or does he
1: not? Okay. um, I'm not sure if he's played with Dead and Company. I know he he
0: played with with Dead. Yeah.
1: Yeah, with Grateful Dead. Back, um, I saw them in in Vegas a few times, and he was there one of the years. And, um, yeah. Bruce Hornsby actually played at, I went to collegiate school, like I mentioned earlier, and they had their 100-year anniversary party here at the National in uh, 2015. And I emceed it. And Dave schools from Widespread Panic is – is a good friend of mine and he he kind of was the musical director of the night and he got Hornsby to come out and play. That's awesome. And um, it turned into, you know, it was like 400 people, 500 people. It was basically a huge cocktail party. Right. And Bruce Hornsby got out and started playing very, you know, just by himself. And people kept talking and he was trying to hush them and whatever. And you could just see him getting pissed off. And like after three songs, he got up and bowed and walked out of the building. And... Uh, he was pissed, and uh, and uh, you know, and then the whole night descended into hell because I whipped out a beer bong that said "Saints" stuff, like for our rivals, and then like it just turned into, I know the administrators were horrified at the whole <laughs> thing, but I ran into Bruce Hornsby a couple years later. Sarah and I were flying up to Philadelphia actually to see you two, and our flight was delayed, and Bruce Hornsby was also waiting for the flight, and so I went over to talk to him, and um, I said, uh, hey, you know, I I emceed I that thing and blah, blah, blah. I goes, oh, yeah, yeah, collegiate school. And he looks at me and goes, collegiate school can kiss an ass. <laughs> like, he was still festering, like, two years later, maybe three years later, and I, it was funny. Um, but, uh, but I love collegiate school, and I don't want to leave it on that note, because the school has been very good for me and my son and, and my family, so. When they have yeah. some,
0: they have some mighty, mighty talented alumni. Russell uh, Wilson. Um, uh, they, he did not do it for me the other night. Oh God, that. Hurt. Nah, that Rams defense. Ooh. That's brutal. Yeah. It is. Yeah, brutal.
1: By the time the they will have gone up against Green Bay, which is going to be a hell of a
0: game. I'm, I just, I can't stand another Tom Brady Super Bowl run, and ah. I just, I, I think it might happen. <clears throat> I this, you never know. Uh, yeah. Breeze just, Breeze looks done to me and yeah and i just don't know if they're going to be able to beat tampa bay for the third time this year i just don't see it yeah
1: they, so, yeah, they, i don't
0: know a I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful well we dude um, too, since like, this will have
1: aired after
0: that game i know <laughs> we have to like go back in and edit shit uh any any uh what what the hell did i miss what did i miss anything we covered a shit ton
1: yeah yeah we got uh we got music we got art we got comedy Sparks. we got seriousness we got um yeah please please tune into that that uh that youtube show youtube yeah dude
0: send me that send me the uh link i'll put it in the uh in the um great in, the, in that yep. stuff if, if there is a link and maybe you already sent it to oh. me but yeah, yeah. To no you. but dude like in, in, you know i think in the future too i want to get on a, a podcast with you and uh brett tomko because i think that would just be fun to you know yeah talk a little reds baseball with him because i know he does he does the um the reds fantasy camp every year oh sweet i believe so all right well, maybe i'll and,
1: get talked into it and take a extremely illegally charged bat down there yeah, trying to hit with the super
0: it. balls in the side of it or the court yeah
1: no, but, that's my batting practice bat.
0: yeah <laughs> um. yeah air quotes yeah. um well, dude, thank man. This is like just fun. Like, uh, you know, it's just like last week going walking around grabbing coffee anyways, but um, yeah, man, but we'll, uh, we'll obviously <clears throat> catch up soon and, and, um, and, and do more shit. And, uh, but yeah, thank, totally. Thank you for my Johnny Bench is now in my office. And, awesome. And, um, we'll yeah, you know, I'll, um,
1: uh, yeah, please let me know how I can promote this and, yep. um, you know, we'll I'm going to, just... s-
0: I'll, I'll snipe out a, like probably an image from you to for a still image from this and, and put it on, on our social media, but yeah, just put it out in the world and, uh, and um, we'll go from there and and, keep talking, keep
1: living within yourself, find happiness and create and
0: hells to the
1: love and play sports. And
0: Oh dude, like by the way, if you have any of your musician buddies that want to give us music for the episode, Um, okay whoever you know like if it's whatever Uh, if not I always just like kind of either do some of my music or whatever and put it back on but um, you know whoever um, okay let me think uh, would be kind of fun just because it's your episode like I always ask that so yeah I appreciate that cool brother well thank you man that was was fun as shit yeah uh, this is cool and um, we'll catch up soon grab a coffee and uh, shoot the shit some more for sure. sure All right, Ron. Uh, thanks, brother. Later, later. Go Buckeyes. Go Buckeyes. Yeah, go Buckeyes.
1: <laughs> yes. Beat the establishment. That'd be later,
0: man. Awesome. Cool. See you, Ron. Thank you. Huge thanks to Mike for jumping on the podcast today. Uh, really love talking about his background and his love of sports and his trajectory as a comedian and a voice actor. Again, make sure to check out his new stuff he's doing on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Mike Henry bro. And you can also follow him on Instagram at Mike Henry bro. Do not forget to listen to our other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C. Follow us at theabstractdoctors.com or on social media under the Abstract Doctors. And One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge podcast, which you can follow on social media at One Man's Ethos, or you can check us out at onemansethos.com. You can also follow Tony on Instagram at Tony Mandrich or on Twitter at Tony underscore mandrich and again make sure to check out his incredible photographs at tonymandrich.com. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com and our social media outlets for future events pop-up exhibits, podcasts, and other information, including creative training journals and subscription boxes. See you next time when we talk with high-performance mentor, author, entrepreneur, and former Baltimore Ravens and record setting Georgia Tech running back Prince Daniels Jr. Thanks as always, and do not forget to exercise the body, and do not forget to exercise the mind. Stay well out there. Thanks. One more day, one more day, one more day, one more